Today, Hillary Clinton is slated to slam the Trump campaign's association with the execrable alt-right. She's released a brutal ad preparing the groundwork. And we'll show you that ad a little bit later. As one of the leading antagonists of the alt-right, there's some accuracy to the ad. She's right that Trump has winked at the alt-right, particularly in that awful Jake Tapper interview on CNN. She's also right that the new Trump campaign CEO, Steve Bannon, has called Breitbart a gathering spot for the alt-right. And she's also right that the alt-right is a movement that prizes white solidarity over any sort of real principle. But there are some serious problems with Hillary's ad. First... It implies that all of the Trump supporters are alt-righters, which is a slur, it is untrue, and it is a lie. Second, the ad also implies the alt-right is conservative, which is also untrue. Just ask anybody on the alt-right. But we do have to ask, what's driving Hillary to even raise the profile of the alt-right by attacking in a full speech, which she's supposed to do in a couple hours or so? Sure, it's typical Democratic politicking. After all, Joe Biden once said that Mitt Romney, the mildest man in the world, wanted to put black Americans back in chains. But it's a weird choice in an election that Hillary, by the polls, is winning handily. Unless, of course, it's a preliminary move toward what the alt-right likes to call no-platforming Trump. Hillary has been studiously avoiding a press conference for nearly a year now. She won't answer difficult questions. She's still leading by big margins in the key swing states. And everybody knows the only possible event that could change that math would be a series of really bad debates against Donald Trump. What if all of this is a precursor to her declaring she simply will not debate anyone associated with the alt-right? That it would be inappropriate to take seriously a guy whose campaign CEO has greenlit pieces praising the alt-right. The media would probably side with her. I mean, they always do, after whining about it for a little bit. Trump would fulminate that Hillary's afraid of him, and he'd be right. But he'd also look like a sore loser, a guy trailing and desperate. He'd become Ted Cruz in the last part of the primary campaign. You remember Ted Cruz in the last part of the primary campaign? He was trailing around Trump, saying he won't debate me because he's afraid and he looked desperate. Well, that would be Trump now, furiously attempting to pin down Hillary so that he can fight her. And she'd give him the high hat. Well, perhaps that's not the agenda at all. Maybe this is all just a cynical play by Hillary to link conservatives with the alt-right, crippling them down the road. But it's not implausible to think we may be watching the groundwork for an election gambit that actually could seriously finish Donald Trump's chances at the presidency. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Alrighty, so we begin by thanking a brand new sponsor. We have a brand new sponsor, Tracker.com. This is, it's actually thetracker.com. This is the coolest thing ever. So if there is conflict in my marriage, it largely springs from the fact that I'm constantly losing my wa- my wallet and my keys. My wife is constantly losing her phone. It, when, now, now that you're carrying around all these objects all the time, you tend to lose them. That's what the tracker does. The tracker makes losing things a thing of the past. It's a coin-sized device, really, really small. It's like two quarters stacked. And you attach it to anything, like keys or wallets or bags or computers. And you pair it to your smartphone. You attach it to anything. And you can find the location with just the tap of a button. That's the entire deal with the tracker. And what happens if you lose your phone? Well, then you press the button on the tracker, you know, from your keys, and your phone rings. Even if the phone is on silent, the phone rings. It overrides the, the don't ring feature of the phone, which is amazing. It's going to save me so much stress in my marriage. Seriously. They have over 1.5 million devices. They have the largest crowd GPS network in the world. So even if you left your device or your wallet a mile away, six miles away, it'll still show up. You don't have to lose anything ever again. Go to the tracker.com and you use promo code Ben. That helps keep everybody here in business. But tracker code Ben, it's the tracker.com. You get 30% off your entire order which is really a fantastic deal. Again, this is a device that, uh, that I've been using, and it is a terrific device, and I highly recommend it. It has saved a lot of stress in my marriage, and I assume that it will save more. Well, today we have so much to get to, so much to get to here on the Ben Shapiro Show. But we'll begin with uh, my good friend Adam Carolla. So Adam Carolla stopped by yesterday. We had a chance to talk to him uh, about he's got a, a new movie that's coming out. It's a documentary about Paul Newman. We talked to him about that and about some of his other films and about what it's like to be a conservative in Hollywood because he really is in Hollywood. Now, here's the interview that we did with Adam Carolla. And now joining us here on the Ben Shapiro Show is one of my favorite human beings and the funniest person that I've ever had the pleasure of sitting in a room with, Adam Carolla. Adam, of course, is the host of the world-famous Adam Carolla Show. The pirate ship is available at adamcarolla.com. Adam, thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. Yes, I wanted to have you on mainly because, uh, number one, because it's always a pleasure to have you on, but second of all, because we're we're now working in in a political system where it seems like the Republicans and Democrats are both completely out of touch with people, and you're totally, you're you're as apolitical a political person as I know. And I sort of wanted to ask you about how that's been received. Obviously, you are, are mostly seen as, as a guy in comedy, but how's your audience received the fact that you're obviously more on sort of the conservative side of the aisle when it comes to personal responsibility? 
Well, it, it's weird because I've been preaching personal responsibility since I began Loveline in 1996 when you were a zygote. So I have, I'm an atheist who comes from the real world, and I grew up just real, not even blue collar, sort of beneath blue collar, and I just went to work. You know, I wasn't educated, and I didn't receive anything from the government or my parents or anyone else. I just realized that, hey, go to work. And I even realized early on, like, hey, don't have kids when you don't have insurance for your pickup truck. It probably would be a bad idea to have kids. And then eventually I got to Loveline, and I just sort of said, hey, if you can't afford kids, don't have kids. Um, because the government's not going to do a very good job of taking care of those kids. And you really have no business having kids if you're too poor to, you know, I'd say, look, anyone who's using powdered milk don't have kids. If you can't afford milk, <laughs> you shouldn't have kids. And nobody said a word about it. Like, it wasn't considered a political notion. It was, the, the thing that's insane is that all this stuff has become politicized. For this, this country's existence, you have kids, you be responsible for those kids, you then pay for those kids, whether it's clothing, meals, schooling, education, whatever, that was somewhere between no duh and no s. Now it's turned into some sort of political notion, which is insane to me. And now, because I'm basically a guy who says, you want to smoke pot, smoke pot. It's not, I'm not going to tell you whether to do that or not. And if you want to go to the beach and start a bonfire and roast marshmallows, go ahead and do that. Take out a flaming stick and throw it in another guy's camper. I've got a problem with you, but just go do your own thing. I've always just preached, don't hurt anybody. Go do your own thing and be responsible. But somehow that's turned me into a conservative, which is bizarre. One of the things I wanted to ask you, Adam, because you're friends with a lot of people who are still in mainstream Hollywood, obviously, you have a lot of friends uh, who are on late night TV. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel comes to mind. And, and a lot of your, the people you hang out with and are friends with uh, are definitely on the left side of the aisle. I mean, they're, they're folks who definitely, they raise money for Democrats, they, they, they like the Democratic Party, but they obviously have the same values you do when it comes to their own personal lives. They actually believe in personal responsibility and hard work. I mean, I've heard you talking about Kimmel and saying that he's one of the hardest working people you know. Why do you think there's, there is that disconnect inside Hollywood with regard to people who basically live the lifestyle that you're talking about, the live and let live, but work, work hard and be responsible for your own stuff, lifestyle, but then go back a bunch of policies that seem to disagree with that? Well, I think part of it is some hypocrisy, obviously. I don't know that it's an intentional hypocrisy with a lot of people that I know that I'm friends with that are very squarely democratic. Um, I think a lot of it is um, a few things. One, uh, the, the Democrats have done a wonderful um, campaign. I mean, for, what I'm saying is this. My wife will buy Pantene shampoo, and I'll go, that's $12. I've seen all the reports. The stuff for buck ninety-nine is exactly the same, and she'll go, this stuff is best for my hair. And I go, why? And she'll go, it's got pro-nutria five. And I'll go, they made that up. They, it's like they made up the word balsam. It doesn't exist. They just She'll go, I know this is the best. And you can't talk me out of it. And I'm buying another thing for $14. And I'll go, listen, I've seen every scientific study. The $1.99 stuff is exactly as good as the Pantene that just cost five times as much. And she'll go, I know what I know. So... The Democrats have done a pretty wonderful campaign of convincing everybody that conservatives were bad people who wanted to, you know, who hated minorities, who hated children, who wanted to see them go to bed hungry, who didn't care if they were fed or sheltered, who hated veterans, who hated the elderly, who hated anyone having access to birth control or, or medicine. And they've done it. And, and, and one could argue, like, one of the best Madison Avenue-style pieces of advertising in terms of campaign, and the folks in Hollywood 
want to be on the happy side of the ad campaign. And I get it. And also, they have to commingle. Co I mean, you have to have these people at your party, on your show, in your corner. I mean, nobody wants to be ostracized or blackballed. I mean, I've, I've come up with three movies. Um, one of them was called Sports Illustrated Best Sports Comedy of the Year, and is at 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. Certified fresh, 80%, 81% with top critics. I have a documentary about Paul Newman. It's 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and 94 with the people. I have another comedy called Roadheart. It's 75, 78% with, with the people on Rotten Tomatoes. None of them have been accepted into Sundance. None of them. Now, it would behoove me as a filmmaker to shut my mouth and get my documentary that's at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes on Into Sundance, which, by the way, Robert Redford is in this documentary. Sundance is named after his character that him and Paul Newman played, Butch and Sundance, have a legendary friendship not accepted in the Sundance. So, higher rated than any of the Oscar-nominated documentaries of the year it came out two years ago, not accepted to Sundance. So there is a business decision to be made here. And I'm not making the right one, but there is a business decision to be made. And it comes down to business in a lot of Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, I was noticing that. I was looking at the, the Rotten Tomatoes rankings on all your films, and it seems like, you know, for example, Roadhard gets worse reviews than Ghostbusters, female you know, Ghostbusters, which may be one of the worst films ever made. And that's got to have something to do with the fact that, that the critics know who you are as opposed to the critics knowing what, what Ghostbusters is about because just on an objective level, any objective level, there is no way that Roadhard is a worse movie than female Ghostbusters. The thing is, is you check the people's rating on Road Hard and then check the critics. You'll see there's a nice chasm in there. The thing that's kind of interesting is my first movie, I did um, The Hammer, I did 10 years ago, and the critics weren't really on to me and my crazy notions about people feeding their own kids breakfast. This, 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 this lunacy, this heresy that I speak of. So my first movie, which is another just nice romantic comedy, they were not really on to me. So you can see that there's not much of a gap between the people and the critic. Now you fast forward 10 years to the next movie and you'll see a larger gap. Social circles, in your social circles, Adam, do you, do you feel like, because obviously you still work in a lot of these social circles, do you feel like you've been ostracized by, by people? Do they look at you differently than they did 10 years ago? Or do they sort of just say, well, Adam was always Adam, he was always iconoclastic, and, and you know, that's just Adam being Adam? The, the people who know me know who I am and who how I've always been, and it's never been a, a mystery to them. It, it's Again, it's the kind of thing where um, I have spoken to people like Tom Arnold, who saw this Newman documentary and was incensed that it wasn't at Sundance, and I told him to look into it a little, and he basically said, you're on kind of a list, and that list is kind of a no-fly list when it comes to this sort of stuff. I mean, again, it, 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 if, if you look at the movie, you can always go, well, it's subjective. But if you look at a movie and it's 100% with the top critics, 90% with the regular critics, and 95% with the people, and the subject is about the best friend of the guy who started Sundance, and you don't get accepted into Sundance, one thinks, well, maybe there's some powers at play. Um, for me, the first movie I did, The Hammer, the guy who ran Sundance simply stated, I don't like Adam Carolla. And so we're not letting him in. So, yes, there is, um, a, a, there is an element of there's a price to pay for having the opinions 
that I share on a regular basis. But yeah. understood. Adam Adam's written a bunch of books. One one of his one of his books is President Me. So he's he started to forge into the the political direction. Uh, a little bit more openly than he used to. And and I want to ask you your political advice from sort of a cultural side, Adam, because obviously I do political analysis for a living, but you're a cultural critic much more than I am because you live in that every day. And so I wanted I wanted to ask you, you know, you mentioned the Republican branding and how the Republican branding sucks and how they've done a really poor job and the Democrats have done a much better job. You're, you're an atheist libertarian, essentially. Do you think that the Republican Party would do better if they if they got off the, the sort of religious aspect and started moving not not you know not telling the religious base to sit down and shut up but more just saying look just get the government out of everything one of the things that struck me about this election cycle is we basically have a democrat running as a democrat in hillary a democrat running as a republican in trump a democrat running as a libertarian in gary johnson and a democrat running as a green party member in jill stein like at some point do you think that there's there's the future for a kind of conservative slash libertarian movement here because obviously you have a big crowd of people who who you know, agree with your basic premise, which is, as long as you're not hurting anybody else, leave me alone. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think the problem is the Democrats have figured out, as long as we say really nice things about this community and that community, then we'll get their votes. And we won't do anything for those communities. And the reason we won't do anything for those communities is because they can't do anything for those communities. There's nothing you can do. If the family's going to be fractured, if people aren't going to focus on education, there's really nothing you can do. There's no programs to fix. If, if it's broken, you know, I always look at it as, as this, because I was a former contractor. Uh, here's what I believe the Democrats say they're going to do. If your basement is leaky and it's taken on water every time it rains, the only way to really fix that basement properly is to excavate all the way around the outside of it and waterproof it from the outside. To patch it from the inside out doesn't work. It works a little bit, it works temporarily, but it doesn't fix the problem. And saying, you know, more lunch programs, more computers for low income, more late night libraries are gonna stay up, stay open later, more after school programs, it's all very good, but it's still patching from the inside. You really wanna patch, stop the basement from leaking, you gotta go outside, and the outside's the family unit. You have to fix the family unit. That stops the water from coming in, only done from the outside. Everything else is temporary and a patch and doesn't really work. Everything the Democrats have been espousing for the last 50 years have just been inside patching. Um, what the Republicans talk about is maybe we should talk about our inside patch job and try to win over more of these people who have three foot of water in their basement, but that's still more patching from the inside. Somebody, I don't know on what side, the Democrats shouldn't do it because they've already got it locked down, but some libertarian or somebody ought to just go, look, you want to fix the problem? We've got to excavate the outside of the house and we got to, and people go, I don't want to hear that. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of earth. That's a lot of work. I don't want to do that. And you got to go, you want to fix the problem or don't you want to fix the problem? Yep. Adam Carolla, uh, the, not only the funniest guy in, uh, in America, but also one of the most profound thinkers, which is amazing because uh, that's not what, what Adam thinks of himself as a thing, but, uh, but that, that, is, that is what he is nonetheless, because sometimes simple truth is, is not so simple in, in today's political environment. The Adam Carolla Show, you can check it out at adamcarolla.com. And of course, uh, his podcast is, is one of the most successful podcasts in American history. So check out the Adam Carolla Podcast. Adam, thanks so much for Appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. All righty. So unfortunately, that means that it's time to cut off the Facebook Live. We didn't even get to all the content about today, but you have to go to dailywire.com to subscribe. Uh, if you're watching Facebook Live or YouTube, become part of the mailbag. Eight bucks a month means that you can join the mailbag and also you can watch the rest of the show with this beautiful punim. Uh, and you can really, really enjoy yourself that way. But if you just want to listen to it later, go to iTunes or SoundCloud and download it. We are the largest conservative podcast in America, and we're so happy you can join us. Again, check us out at dailywire.com.
Okay, so on to the news of the day. So much to get to. This is going to be like an eight-hour show today. So congratulations to you, gang. All right. Not congratulations to the people who work here, but tough. I mean, they get paid. You don't. So, okay. So so let's start with um, today. Hillary Clinton, in just a few minutes probably, is going to be giving her speech about the alt-right. She's attacking the alt-right. So first of all, I wanted to find what the alt-right is because most people don't know what this is. I would say that 80% of Republicans have no clue what the alt-right is. Uh, then of the remaining 20%, most of the people who know about the alt-right are not big fans of it. There's probably 5% of all Republicans who consider themselves alt-right. That's at the very, very high end. There's there's not a lot of people who consider themselves alt-right. But they have outsized weight because they're very loud on social media. Uh, and a lot of people fall into the trap of thinking that they like the alt-right because they don't know everything there is to know about how they define themselves. So let me give you sort of a background on what the alt-right is, and that will allow you to to understand why this is important and why Hillary Clinton is doing what she's doing and why it's a problem for Donald Trump. So many of the members of the so-called alt-right are leftovers from something called Gamergate. Gamergate is not something I covered in depth because I'm not a gamer, but it was an important movement that was an attempt to shut down the cultural censorship surrounding video games. You, Andrew Clavin's talked about this because he's a gamer. There, there are all these reviewers who decided that it was, in, it was just in, inappropriate and terrible for anybody to make a video game that did, that contained within it sexist tropes or right-wing tropes, and so they started giving bad reviews and trying to destroy all of these video games. Gamergate comes along, and a bunch of people uh, decide that they're going to fight back against this, which is good. One of the ways they decide to fight back against this is by posting deliberately offensive content to, vi- content to violate uh, all of the left's taboos, and they want, it, they want it, what they call trigger the social justice warriors. Now, this is not a tactic I think is particularly useful. I'm of the view that you speak the truth, and if people are triggered by it, then they're triggered by it. But you don't go out of your way just to say things that are offensive, because otherwise that just makes you a jerk. You just say things that are true. If people are offended, that's their problem, but it isn't your fault. Okay, so what happened is that Gamergate, because they they were so interested in sort of the deliberately offensive, Gamergate, some of those people resonated to Donald Trump, who is deliberately offensive, who says things that are truly offensive and ridiculous on a pretty regular basis. And so a lot of them fall into the Donald Trump category. And they start falling in line with a lot of people who are using memes, Holocaust memes, racist memes. And so these kind of, this kind of white supremacist movement, the, largely linked with sort of the paleocons, Pat Buchanan, uh, the, those people are very fond of, of Donald Trump's isolationist foreign policy and his anti-free trade positions. And these are many of these people are, are very attached to the idea that European civilization is not based on the idea of Western civilization. It's much more based on the, the ethnicity and the race of the people involved. And so this is uh, and so this is sort of the intellectual foundation for the alt-right movement. It contains people ranging from Pat Buchanan, who, who you know, is careful not to say things that are overtly racist most of the time, uh, to people like Jared Taylor. Um, and and David Duke and, and Richard Spencer. Richard Spencer is the kind of guy, Milo Yiannopoulos wrote a piece about the alt-right where he broke it down at Breitbart. He mentioned openly people like Richard Spencer. Richard Spencer is the sort of fellow who writes things like this, quote, our dream is a new society, an ethnostate that would be a gathering point for all Europeans. It would be a new society based on very different ideals than, say, the Declaration of Independence. Steve Saylor, another intellectual influence for these folks, they say, since Jewish predilections play such a massive role in the media, it's crucial to understand these biases. And this sort of philosophy, this sort of racist, anti-Semitic philosophy, it runs inside a movement that basically says the only way to preserve European Western civilization is to preserve European ethnicity. It's not the creed that unites us, it's the race that unites us. And they'll openly admit, the members of the alt-right, they're not conservative and they don't like conservatism. They think conservatism has been a surrender, that the conservatives surrendered long ago to the to the left. This is why they call people who are conservative cuckservatives. They suggest that we are cuckolds. Uh, and when they say cuckold, they don't just mean somebody whose wife cheated on him, they mean somebody who enjoys watching his wife have sex peculiarly enough with black men is because they're racist, at least in large part, and they believe that, like for me, if my wife were having sex with another dude, it wouldn't matter to me the color of the dude, I'd be pretty upset generally. <laughs> but for them, the worst thing would be if your wife is having sex with a black dude, because and, and you approve, because that's just a metaphor for how you're allowing white society to be cucked, to be cuckolded by, the, by these minority groups. Vox Day is one of these execrable people, really one of the worst people on the internet, and, and Vox Day... 
Well, I tend not to pay attention to because for the same reason that, that, you know, the best thing to do with the poop on your shoe is just to scrape it off and move on with your life. But since we're talking alt-right, Vox Day is one of the more eloquent expositors of the alt-right. He wrote a piece today, very angry at me for, for writing about the alt-right. Here's what he wrote. He wrote, now, it is obvious that our philosophy differs from conservatism, although it is not as totally foreign to it as Ben is to America. And Ben, of course, is surrounded by three... Uh, parentheses. And this is something the alt-right likes to do. They surround every Jew, their name, with three parentheses, because Jews are foreign, as you'll see. He says, we don't hide the fact the alt-right is an alternative to conservatism. It's right there in the name. But we do not supposedly champion Western civilization. We actually do champion it. And more importantly, it falls to us to do so because conservatives, cuckservatives, and non-Westerners, such as Ben, right, three parentheses, have been lying about Western civilization's foundational principles for over 100 years. Well, first of all, I'm 32, so I can't really have been doing that. But nonetheless, this idea is that that if you believe in the creed of the Declaration and the Constitution of the United States, then you've been lying about the foundational principles of Western civilization, which lie in racial tribalism and solidarity. Here's what he says. He says, Western civilization rests upon three pillars, Christianity, the European nations, and the rule of law. Okay, I agree that Judeo-Christian thought is the foundation of Western civilization. We talk about this all the time. And I agree that European nations were the ones who brought that to its fruition, but that doesn't mean that European ethnicity has anything to do with it. And it really doesn't. I mean, the idea that a white person, because of the nature of the color of their skin, is more apt to be civilized than a black person is just pure racism. Finally, says, then the rule of law. He says, a non-Christian, non-European lawyer, such as Ben, three parentheses, can neither speak for the West nor is likely inclined to defend it indeed. Ben? is simply following in the tradition of his tribal compatriots Emma Lazarus and Israel Zangwill in attempting to redefine the white Christian foundations of both America and the West on behalf of his own tribal interests. So I guess it's, it's just because I'm a Jew, I want a lot of Mexicans to immigrate, which means, makes perfect sense if you're a crazy person. He says, white tribalism in America is not only necessary, it is the inevitable consequence of the success two invading tribes had in overturning the immigration standards in 1965. So everybody's very upset about the Immigration Act of 1965. I agree, the Immigration Act of 1965 was crappy. But I'm not a good conservative because I'm a Jew, and Jews can't understand Western civilization because they're not Christians and because they're not Europeans and because they're not white. All right, so this is, this is sort of the philosophy of the alt-right. And they express it in, in sometimes odd ways. Here is an alt-right celebration video, I have to admit. The alt-right blows in a number of ways. Uh, they blow the saxophone and they also just blow. Here's a, a version of We Didn't Start the Fire. Um, by some alt-right kook, and it actually does a fairly decent job of summing up what the alt-right is all about. Pat Buchanan, Richard Lynn, Sam Dixon, Mike Levin, Jared Taylor, Joseph Sobrin, Peter Brimelow, Larry Astor, Arthur Jensen, Samuel Francis, Philly Russian, Charles Murray, Murray Rothbard, Gavin and Jim Goad. Culture wars, bell curve, LA riots hit a nerve, neocons usurp the right, cities fall into white flight, 9-11 Iraq, economic setbacks, soon the white race feels the pain of two terms of hope and change. We didn't start the movement, though our generation might just save our nation, since we're unhucked in helmet. So they so they they give a whole list of people and and the, and the the whole video is a group of white nationalists um, and uh, occasionally punctuated by somebody like Charles Murray who's not a white nationalist uh, and then they they talk about how you know they are uncucked and hellbent meaning that they are awake they're woke basically would be the left wing equivalent they're woke except they're white supremacists uh, and and they are aware that there is a war on white people there is quote unquote white genocide right this is what they are deeply worried about so this is the alt-right. This is the alt-right. So here's the problem. Donald Trump has attracted the alt-right for a couple of reasons. One is that Donald Trump shares some policy prescriptions with the alt-right, uh, such as he's very, or he used to be, we'll talk about this, he used to be uh, very hardcore on illegal immigration, uh, and, uh, and he used to talk about the, the threat of non-white peoples, right? This is sort of what the, what the alt-right enjoys about, about Donald Trump. And uh, and so they, they liked that about Trump. They liked that he was, he was not politically correct, by which they mean that he said deliberately offensive things about various groups of people, and they think that this is a strike back against the, the SJWs, the social justice warriors. They also like Trump because Trump winks at them. And, he, and because Trump winks at them, and I knew this was going to happen, because Trump winks at them, some people have picked up on that, right? And so Hillary Clinton has now picked up on that. She's going to give a big speech about this today. Here is, uh, here's Hillary Clinton talking about her big speech that she's going to give today on the alt-right. Donald Trump called you 
a bigot. He'd been calling your policies bigoted. Tonight he actually called you a bigot. How do you respond to that? Oh, Anderson, it reminds me of that great saying that Maya Angelou had, that when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. And Donald Trump has shown us who he is. And we ought to believe him. He is uh, taking a hate movement mainstream. He's brought it into his campaign. Uh, he's bringing it to our communities and our countries. And, you know, someone questioned the citizenship of the first African-American president who has courted uh, white supremacists, who's been sued for housing discrimination against communities of color, who's attacked a judge for his Mexican heritage and promised a mass deportation force uh, is someone who uh, is, you know, very uh, much peddling bigotry and prejudice and paranoia. Okay, so we can stop it there. I so this is this is her routine, right? And this is nothing new from Democrats. They said the same thing as I mentioned about Mitt Romney. They said that Mitt Romney was also peddling paranoia and horror and all this kind of stuff. The problem is that now they can say this with some credibility because Trump winks and nods at the alt-right. And before we get to her video, I think it's important to to give you a few examples of just what the alt-right looks like when, when they tweet at people. So when the alt-right tweets at people, this is fairly typical. This is this is what the alt-right looks like when they tweet at people like me. They don't like me. So this is a so this is a, a picture for those who can't see, this is a picture of Donald Trump, right, standing in front of a Holocaust door. I mean it's, it looks like the door at Auschwitz with a with a with a button and he's wearing a Nazi uniform and behind it is Jeb Bush. But they have ones that are that are of me, right? Pictures of me inside the gas chamber. This has become one of their favorite memes. Uh, they also have, have tweets along these lines. Uh, there are multiple tweets along these lines. I mean, they're ones you know, calling me a cuck and they, they, there's something they like called Peppy the Frog, which uh, is kind of an old cartoon that they've now repurposed. They've called, they, they like the ones where they call me a Shekelmeister uh, because I'm, I'm a Jew that Vox Day hates that Jews are part of the political discourse because Jews, of course, don't have the interests of the United States at heart. So this is what, so Donald Trump has, has winked and nodded at these people. And I'll give you two specific examples of where he's winked and nodded. So the first was where I really broke with Donald Trump fully. And that's where Donald Trump uh, went on national TV with Jake Tapper. And then he refused to condemn the KKK and David Duke. And people say, oh, well, you know, he did it all the other times. He did it before and after. As I've said before, if someone says, is rape bad? And 99 times out of 100, you say, rape is terrible. And the hundredth time someone says, is rape bad? And you go, ah, rape. You know, maybe, I haven't heard that much about it, maybe it's, yeah, I don't know. People are rightly going to jump on you and say, uh, you're supposed to say rape is bad all the time. This is called an easy question. So that was number one. Then Donald Trump started getting all sorts of questions about all these alt-right people who have been tweeting at him that he's retweeting, and alt-right people attacking Jewish journalists like Julia Jaffe, and he would say, well, I have nothing to say about their anti-Semitic attacks. I have nothing to say about that she wrote a bad piece. So people, get, people on the alt-right feel solidarity with Donald Trump. That is true. They do feel solidarity with Donald Trump. Go to any of their message boards. Go to 4chan or Reddit. Uh, go to, go to any, of their, any of the places that they like to hang out. And there's great love for Donald Trump. So that means that Hillary Clinton now has an opening. Because we on the right have been trying to avoid the stigma of being labeled racist because it's a lie. It's a lie. It's an absolute lie. We've been spending our entire lives fighting against the false, against the absolute lie that people on the right are racist. And along comes these white nationalist idiots, these alt-right people, who actually are racist, and Trump is, is poo-pooing them. So here's the ad that Hillary Clinton just released. The reason a lot of Klan members like Donald Trump is because a lot of what he believes, we believe in says these people support Trump because they believe Trump supports them. And it's pictures Trump of Trump would be best for the job. For president. Yeah. This I is a guy a in a KKK robe, right? Support Donald Trump. Sending out all the illegals, building a wall. This is Jared and Taylor, an actual white supremacist. Islamic immigration. That's very appealing to a lot of ordinary white people. Running against Donald Trump at this point is really treason. To this your is David heritage. Duke, former Will KKK you Grand Wizard. Will condemn David Duke and say that you don't want his vote or that of other white supremacists? I don't know anything about white supremacists, so I don't know. And then Trump they say, this is who Bannon. runs this Trump's is campaign. New campaign CEO. Mr. Bannon is best known for his controversial Breitbart News, a campaign chair that ran a website that has become a field day for the alt-right, which is racist and all sorts of other ists. The alt-right, which is a sort of dressed up in suits version of the neo-Nazi and white supremacist movements. It says if Trump wins, they could be running the country. A lot of what he believes, we believe in. 
Okay, the reason that's an effective ad is not because of the KKK imagery, because everybody's honing in on that. I mean, there are crazy people of all sides who who back all sorts of candidates. I mean, there there are people. The Communist Party backs Hillary Clinton, but the but what's telling there is that one quote from Trump, and that's the killer. I mean, that's the killer app. When they drop the line where Trump says that he doesn't know anything about white supremacists or the KKK, and then you've got David Duke talking about how wonderful he is, it's pretty it's it's pretty damning stuff. It's pretty now. Here's the problem. In other times, we'd be able to say this is a lie, it's terrible. Because Trump has flirted with these people, it makes it more difficult to say that. Now, I will say it's disgusting that the left is trying to now paint the entire right with the brush of the alt-right. I'm about as right-wing as it is possible to be, and I'm probably the number one target on the alt-right list. If I'm not number one, I'm certainly in the top five. I mean, I'm, I'm no friend to the alt-right, and I have the very expensive security system, the extra shotgun shells, to prove it, which I purchased largely after I started receiving all sorts of death threats from the alt-right. So... I'm, I'm fully aware of the threats of the alt-right, but they're, they're, be, they're being mainstreamed by incompetent conservatives and by the left that wants to see them lumped in with the rest of the conservatives. Doug McElway uh, is a commentator on Fox News. And here, for example, is Doug McElway trying to pretend that the alt-right isn't that bad. So, you know, how did they come up with these tactics? You know, what, what's the background here, Doug? Well, you know, the, the alt-right is using the same tactics that the left has used for generations now, basically fighting fire with fire. That's, that's a big part of it. It's demonstrated in something uh, that Mike Rowe, you might know him, the, the popular host of the Dirty Jobs show, something that he posted on Facebook recently. It's okay to poke fun at Trump supporters as uneducated white men, he says, but Rowe asks rhetorically, and I'm quoting here, if the media didn't care about the lack of college among black men supporting Obama, why do they care so much about the lack of college among white men supporting Trump? Moreover, when exactly is with a lack of, of education? Rose notes that uh, tradesmen, mechanics, welders, carpenters make up a part of the Trump base, and they are hardly without education. Yeah. Indeed, they are highly skilled. Okay, linking the entire right, linking legit people with the alt-right that have nothing to do with the alt-right is really nasty. Hugh Hewitt made this mistake, too. He suggested that anybody who didn't back Mitch McConnell is an alt-right person, which is just insane. It's not true at all. I think Hugh backed off that position after he was informed that he was wrong. The, the attempt to lump in all conservatives with the alt-right is really devastating. And the fact that you have people like Reince Priebus, who instead of just saying to Donald Trump, you need to disassociate from the alt-right, will presumably just sort of poo-poo Donald Trump. You watch. Donald Trump will be asked about this. He'll say, I'm not a member of the alt-right. I'm not a member of the alt-right. And then he'll wink at him out at the alt-right because Donald Trump responds to applause. That's why Donald Trump has been soft on them. If Vladimir Putin pays him a compliment, he's a friend of Vladimir Putin. If the alt-right cheers him on and makes cuck memes about his enemies, then he's a friend of the alt-right. This is one of the reasons why I've been so staunchly against unifying with Donald Trump. It's one of the reasons why I won't get behind him. It's one of the reasons why I don't support him. It's one of the reasons why I have trouble voting for him, because I think that the attempt by the left to turn the right into the party of the alt-right, to, to, to hollow it out, it's actually happening on the part of a lot of people on the alt-right. So, for example, Richard Spencer, who's an absolute open racist, he says, quote, Hillary is trying to push the GOP into permanent minority status by empowering the alt-right. And believe me, she will be empowering us today. The alt-right is, in a way, what people wrongly accuse the GOP of being, a nationalist party for white people. Hillary's alt-right speech will try to force the GOP to become what it is. Okay, and he's right. He's actually right. Hillary wants the GOP to become the alt-right. That's what she would like. And the alt-right wants the GOP to become the alt-right. I don't want the GOP to become the alt-right, and I don't want to humor the alt-right, and I don't want to humor people who humor the alt-right. So that's the that's the sort of that, that's that's what's going on with the alt-right speech. I also have, you know, a theory that Hillary Clinton may be attempting to paint Donald Trump as so dark and terrible that she won't even debate him. He's so alt-right, he's so scary, he's so demonic that I won't even debate him. I won't give him a platform and uh, and then she'll just waltz to the election by denying him the ability to really hit her in open debate. Okay, so that was big piece of news number one today, and uh, and Hillary Clinton is supposed to be speaking in a few minutes on this topic, so I'm sure we'll find out more. Second big piece of news, Donald Trump flips on immigration. So Donald Trump went on Sean Hannity's show, and Sean Hannity uh, basically, yeah, and Sean Hannity basically walks him to Jeb Bush's position on illegal immigration. That's seriously what happens. So now it's time to play a game of good Trump, bad Trump. Our daily game brought to you by the, our theme is brought to you by Brandon Snipes. So unfortunately, a fair bit of bad Trump today. So here is bad Trump. So we'll start with a little bit of history of Trump on amnesty. Donald Trump has taken every, every position it is possible to take on amnesty and illegal immigration. Donald Trump has taken. He has more positions on this issue than the Kama Sutra. 
Okay, Donald Trump, here's, here's an ad that Donald Trump cut against Ted Cruz during the primaries. But you know what? I want to protect my family. Paris, San Bernardino, and now Brussels. I want a president that will keep us safe. We need to control our borders and stop letting in dangerous people. Trump will do that. And Ted Cruz, he wanted to let in more Syrian refugees and give amnesty to illegal immigrants. That won't protect my family. Stop Donald it there. Trump amnesty for illegal immigrants. And then there's Trump directly accusing Cruz of, Cruz of supporting amnesty. Ted was in favor of amnesty. Him and Marco Rubio have been fighting about who's weaker. Now all of a sudden, and I was watching Ted the other day, and it was very interesting. He said, and we must build a wall, okay? And my wife said, darling, he just said build a wall. That's the first person that said build a wall. I've been saying it for five years. But he said, and we will build a wall. So now he's taking my idea for the wall. I'm glad he's taking it. I think it's the right thing to do. That he's, he says that, he, that Cruz is in favor of amnesty. And here's Donald Trump hitting Rubio on amnesty. Marco Rubio, you disagree with him, obviously, strenuously on immigration. But he is, he is Hispanic. He is, obviously, his parents are Cuban. He has well, that's a story, why he an inspirational wants, that's story. That's why he wants amnesty. Would you put him as a VP on your ticket? It's too early to say. I like him. I mean, he's a nice guy. I was with him. I've gotten to know him. It's, it's one of the funny things, because people say I'm a little rough on some of the candidates. I like them all. I like Jeb Bush. Okay. I like so them all. So he rips Rubio on amnesty there. Here's him ripping Jeb Bush, his favorite target on amnesty during one of the debates. When I announced that I was running for president on June 16th, illegal immigration wasn't even a subject. If I didn't bring it up, you wouldn't even be talking. Now... I don't often agree with Marco, and I don't often agree with Ted, but I can in this case. The weakest person on this stage by far on illegal immigration is Jeb Bush. They come out of an act of love, whether you like it or not. He is so weak on illegal immigration, it's laughable, and everybody knows it. Okay, so there he is ripping Jeb Bush. Now, at the time that this happened, Jeb Bush warned. He did. He said, Trump is lying to you. All of his talk about how he's going to build the wall and he's going to deport 12 million people, it's a lie. Here's Jeb Bush saying, look, he's lying to you, gang. Bush also dismissed Trump's proposals for a trade embargo with Mexico, a fence along the entire southern border, and his call to confiscate earnings sent from undocumented workers to their families back home. To withhold remittances? for uh, people living here that are sending money back to their families, it's just not realistic. What would you have to do to try I to do I have no that? idea. I mean, it, the, it, the, the implementation of that is just not, not practical. Creating an embargo on Mexico, our third largest trading partner, it's not realistic to suggest that you would do that. It's not realistic to create a fence in places where fences can't be, can't be built. Okay, so there he is saying that Trump is lying to you. And then there was Cruz saying Trump is lying to you. You know, the amazing thing, Mark, all of us are frustrated with politicians lying to us. I'm actually going to give Trump a little bit of credit here. He's being candid. He's telling us he's lying to us. You, you look at what his campaign manager says, is that this is just an act. This is just a show. You know, when Donald talks about building a wall, when Donald talks about enforcing immigration laws, when, when Donald talks about, I guess, anything, that it's all an act and a show, We were all on board with the warning. I was saying at the time, I will be, I was conservative on immigration long before Trump was. I'll be conservative on immigration long after Trump is. So now it's time for the pivot. So last night on Hannity. So remember, Hannity during the primaries was excoriating Amnesty Rubio and Cruz for not being strong enough against the Gang of Eight bill and all this nonsense. Here was Donald Trump last night performing the full flip. And I have to say, the person who had the worst day in America yesterday was Ann Coulter. Uh, my friend Ann Coulter. Ann has a book out called In Trump We Trust all about why you should trust Trump on immigration. She gave a launch party at the Breitbart headquarters last night as Donald Trump was saying this on Sean Hannity's program. Can we go through a process or do you think they have to get out? Tell me. I mean, I don't know. You tell me. Well, well let me, well, no, let's I'd do a poll. Like How many like think they know. should go the through problem. a process that maybe give them a chance? Clap. We got to hear you. How many people? Uh, How many think they should go? But do it again. Do it again. So let me ask you, because this is like, this place is packed. Yeah. Does everybody get this kind of a crowd? No. Uh, no. Do we throw them out, or do we work with them and try and do something? Right, well, okay, ready? Well, ready? How many say Number one, work with Number them? Number one.
people saying, throw them out, right? People are actually chanting, throw them out. And Hannity and Trump both step in to try and stop the crowd that he just begged for their response from. I mean, this is amazing stuff. We'll say throw out. Number two, we work with them. Ready? Number one. Number, Number two. two. Yeah. Okay. Originally, you had said they're all out and there was a big brouhaha, but you're saying that if somebody can prove that they've been here, proven to be a citizen. But well, here's the big question, though. Go ahead. No citizenship. No citizenship. Yeah. No citizenship. Everyone no agree citizenship. with that? All right. I love Sean playing like his, his, his teleprompter here. They pay back taxes. They have to pay taxes. There's no amnesty as such. There's no amnesty. Right. But we work with them. But we work with them. No amnesty. No amnesty. That's called amnesty, gang. Okay, what he's talking about is what he in the primaries defined as amnesty. His position is now to the left of Jeb Bush, to the left of Marco Rubio, and significantly the left of Ted Cruz. Now, again, do I think that this is going to hurt him? I talked about this yesterday. No, I don't. I think that his supporters will go along with him. Ann Coulter, you know, was tweeting about this last night, but Ann, I think, is a, is a pretty good example of a Trump supporter. Here are Ann's tweets about all this last night. So she was tweeting, only part he left out was the hoops they'll have to jump through. Trump, no citizenship. Let me go a step further. They'll pay back taxes. She's being facetious. She says, it's not amnesty. It's comprehensive immigration reform, right? She's making fun of him. She says, Trump, they have to pay taxes. There's no amnesty. Pro tip, backs taxes mean we pay illegals $30,000 a piece. He says, well, if it's hard, then never, Trump said, to take a person who's been here 15 or 20 years, it's a very, very hard thing. She said, well, if it's hard, then never mind. So she was ticked off last night, was Ann. This morning, she comes out and she says, I support Donald Trump. I support Donald Trump full scale. And she actually compares him uh, to Kim Jong-un. Um, and she says that she would walk over broken glass for him because he has said that, that uh, this is a direct quote. This is according to Joshua Green, uh, who I believe, wh where does Josh Green write for? He writes for uh, the Boston Globe, I believe. Um, he, he sa uh, she says, quote, my worship for him is like the people of North Korea worship their dear leader. Blind loyalty. Once he gave that Mexican rapist speech, I'll walk across glass for him. That's basically it. Unlike the crazy Cruz supporters, I'll criticize him. Uh -huh. And I have. But it's all minor stylistic stuff. We all want to shoot him at various times. Okay, that's kind of weird. So, so Ann was very, very upset about all the things that, that Donald Trump was saying last night. And his people were trying desperately to spin it. Now, again... I think that most, virtually all of his people will stand by him because he has the greatest campaign slogan ever, I'm not Hillary. Now, given his record on his other promises, I would like to see Donald Trump's birth certificate. But assuming he's not Hillary, that's a pretty great slogan. But it, it is amusing to watch all of these people try to justify him. Katrina Pearson, who, honest to God, I, I don't know how this woman has a job still. Uh, she was on CNN trying to explain the walk back by Trump. He hasn't changed his position on immigration. He's changed the words that he is saying. <laughs> okay. He hasn't changed his position on immigration. He just changed all the words. So I'm not saying Katrina Pearson is stupid. I'm just saying the words, Katrina Pearson is stupid. <laughs> uh, Kellyanne Conway, who's much smarter than Katrina Pearson, she too struggles to explain why it is that Donald Trump's new position isn't actually Jeb Bush's old position. It is this week what it's always been. No amnesty, no sanctuary city so that... Um, innocent victims like Kate Steinle, who was murdered right in front of her father in San Francisco over a year ago, Chris, by a man who had been, been deported five times. That should outrage everyone in this country, regardless of their political affiliation. Hillary Clinton is for sanctuary cities. She's for catch and release. She's for open borders. She's actually considerably to the left of President Obama on the issue of immigration. And the only way that the voters are going to know that is if we tell them, because she won't. She's hiding from that. No amnesty from him. Um, no open borders, secure the border, build the wall, have Mexico pay for it, no sanctuary cities, get these businesses to register for E-Verify to put, make them more accountable. You can't just look at somebody's document and then look the other way. And but that's no different clean. than what Cruz, Rubio, and Bush wanted to do. No, 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 it is different. I, no, it is different. The, Rubio's plan was, was much more, seemed much more, this man's not for amnesty. And, and he also... Neither is Rubio. <laughs> well, that's... I mean, what they said was work with them. You can't deport everybody, you can't break up these families. Donald Trump said exactly that but last Senate, night. Senator Rubio is a particularly different case because he led the Gang of Eight with Chuck Schumer and, um, and uh, I think, Dick Durbin. The Gang of Eight, their plan was amnesty. Their plan was um, and is, if they had their way, and I think it hurt him to try to work with these, de these Democrats who want open borders, and it hurt him. So I think here what voters need to see is what Donald Trump is saying his immigration plan is. Okay, so there you have it, uh, the, the Trump campaign trying to spin. Now, again, 
do I think any of this particular stuff hurts Trump? No, I don't think this hurts Trump. I think there's some members of his base who are kind of pissed off, but I think that most of the people who are in his really ardent base are basically fine with Donald Trump uh, making this swivel. But it is to point out that the swivel did happen, okay? I think it is important to point out that when people told you so, they were correct. And so when I tell you that Donald Trump is not going to appoint a conservative Supreme Court justice, take my you don't have to take my word for it, but take my word for it, gang, okay? There's this whole idea that Donald Trump is someone you can trust is not true. Again, you want to vote for him to stop Hillary Clinton? I get it. That that argument basically, again, it's the best argument anybody has ever made for Donald Trump is he's not Hillary Clinton. That's the best argument. That's all he's going to continue to say from here on in because it's just, what else does he stand for? Does anyone know at this point? Okay, so now a brief moment of good Trump. So here is Donald Trump saying something good. Here is Donald Trump saying that Hillary Clinton is the real bigot in this race. Hillary Clinton is a bigot who sees people of color Only as votes, not as human beings, worthy of a better future. She's going to do nothing for African Americans. She's going to do nothing for the Hispanics. She doesn't care what her policies have done to your communities. And I think, and I think, John, so uh, stop there. I think that's, that's right message, wrong messenger. That's true. Hillary Clinton is a bigot. She does treat black people as though they are a collective body of voters who are just aligned with her. And she doesn't talk about any of the real problems that are plaguing the black community or solutions that can make the black community uh, better off. She, she doesn't do any of those things. I do think I, I have to point out that it is very funny. If you, you may have missed it because, uh, because of Trump speaking. But uh, watch this lady and her facial reaction when Trump calls Hillary Clinton a bigot. Did you see her? That was a classic. Oh, it's hilarious. <laughs> I don't know that she... She ooh. needs to be on the show. Okay, that is pretty funny. Okay, so that is, uh, you know, we're, we're running way past time. So let's skip straight to things I like and things I hate. Sorry to the fellows who cut all the audio, but we, we hit most of it. Okay, things I like. And things that I hate. So we're doing sort of uh, Land of Israel-related things this week and things that I like. People always ask me, what's the best book that I could get? Gives me background of the Arab-Israeli conflict. Um, and, uh, and the best book that you can get, it's very user-friendly. It's one called Myths and Facts, uh, A Guide to the Arab-Israeli Conflict by Mitchell Bard. What's great about this book is that it breaks everything down, like all the different myths, into about half a page. And so you'll, need, you'll, you'll know everything you need to know if you pick this up from Amazon.com. It's a very good quick reference guy. Okay, other things, other things that I like. So, Stephen Colbert is normally quite terrible. I, I don't like Stephen Colbert. I think that Stephen Colbert is a great... I hated him a lot more when he was on Comedy Central because he used to engage in something that I'd term political blackface. Blackface is evil, and it's the, when people would, dry, would dress up as black people and then mock black people by pretending to be them. And, and Colbert would do that by pretending to be a conservative and then slander conservatives. And then if you'd call him on it, he would say, well, hey, man, I'm just being a funny man. I'm just, you know, I'm not a real conservative. I'm just pretending to be one. And it was really gross. Well, Stephen Colbert, who I, I despise, he had on Anderson Cooper, and he did call him out on something kind of funny. CNN hires Corey Lewandowski, who's the former campaign manager for Donald Trump. Donald Trump was paying Corey Lewandowski while he was a contributor on CNN. Stephen Colbert asks Cooper about it and watch Cooper get all awkward. Did you also interview Paul Manafort, I'm sure, right? Uh, I d yeah, I did, I think, one or two. Well, I think at least one. So the, he was the previous campaign manager. Cam and then Corey Lewandowski was the manager before Oh, well, Corey Lewandowski, who now right. works at CNN. CNN right. So he works for you guys. Does he still get any money from the Trump people at the I same believe, time? I believe, I read he gets a severance, a continuing severance from the Trump So y'all are paying him, and Trump is paying him, and, and, but he's on your show doing analysis for a man he still gets cash from. Pretty much, yeah. I, I, I guess that's one way to look at it. I mean, it, yeah. And you still respect his opinion, too? Well, you know, we, we have people from all the campaigns. Okay, so again, it is awkward that they are, that they are doing that, and it's, and it's good, good for Colbert for, for calling it out, because it is ridiculous, although you will never see Colbert call that out on the left side of the aisle. There are lots of... Howard Dean is working for MSNBC. I mean, the man's the, the former head of the DNC. So, you know, again, there's a double standard there, but I'm glad that at least it's called out sometimes. Okay. Things that I hate. Let's do it. Charles Blow is the worst columnist at the New York Times, which is saying a lot because he's legit. They're, they're legitimately like a, a huge crowd of people at the New York Times who are terrible columnists. Charles Blow is their racial columnist, and he's just dishonest up the wazoo. He was on CNN. He was arguing with a black Trump supporter, and Charles Blow. It, it just it just demonstrates how incompetent the left is. He's asked by this black Trump supporter. 
you keep calling Trump a racist. Can you give me some pieces of evidence that he's racist against black people? And Charles Blow has nothing, so instead he does this. Here's the deal, right? So Donald Trump is a bigot. There's no other way to get around it. Wow. Anybody who supports, accepts that, supports it. Anybody who supports it is promoting it. And that makes you a part of the bigotry itself. Now, you have to decide whether or not you want to be part of the bigotry that is Donald Trump. You have to decide whether you want to be part of the sexism and misogyny that is Donald Trump. You have to decide whether you want to be part of the bullying that would allow him to make fun of one of my disabled colleagues at the New York Times. You have to decide that. There is no other space for you. There is no place for you to say, I'm going to put that to the side because I believe in conservative principles. I can't put that to the side because I believe that I do not want to vote for Hillary. You have to make a decision because your party has now decided that this is the person. This con man is your front man. Mm. And you have to decide whether or not you're going to follow that. That's a lot. Bruce, I'm literally running out of time, so go ahead. I'll give you the last word. Well, Charles, you know, I'm sorry you can't answer the question because you know that you can't. You, you know, I don't know it's, you, it's, it's, and I don't want to talk well, to you, and I don't want to answer your questions. Okay, well, that, you that's fine. You need to question somebody else who is interested in okay. who Bruce, knows well, you. Bruce, the, the, okay, this is what's obnoxious. Okay, the, the Trump supporter had asked him, can you name something racist that Trump has said? So there are some actual examples of Trump saying some racist stuff, like the Mexican judge stuff, for example. Or if he wants proof that he's a bigot, the KKK thing would be a not terrible example. It's not a great example, but it's not a terrible example. Okay, Blow can't give one because he just assumes de facto all Republicans are racist. And then when he's asked the question, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to have a conversation with you. I don't know who you are. Well, then why are you on TV? I mean, like, you're, you're, you're there being paid, presumably, to sit there and talk with this guy. Or even if you're not paid, you know that you're on with it. Like, when I'm on TV, I know who I'm on with. I don't have the right to just say, I don't know who you are. I'm not talking to you anymore. Why am I even here? How did I get here? Who drove me? Like, you don't, that, that's not the game that you get to play. If you're going to be part of the conversation, then be part of the conversation. If you're just going to brush it off because you want to ignore the question, then you're in dicey territory. That's, that's ridiculous. Okay. Now it's time for a little bit of the mailbag. I know we are so late, gang, but who cares? All right. You love it. You, you know you love it. Okay. So here we go. Mailbag, do we have a, a graphic? All right. David writes, Hey, Ben, love the show. I know you always claim the government is bad at most things, and the place of government is to protect the rights of the people. While I agree with that mostly, the government has been very effective in conserving the environment through national park programs. How do you feel about this? Does the rest of nature have any rights that the government should protect? Okay, so I'm torn on the national parks issue, mainly because a lot of the nicer areas in the United States have been preserved by private landowners uh, who also care about the environment. And the problem with the government just fencing off large swaths of territory is not, you know, the, the crown jewels of American of American environmentalism like Yosemite, which I really don't think anybody was going to move in and turn that into a thriving metropoli- uh, metropolis. Uh, the, the government, the federal government owns like 80% of Nevada and has fenced it off in the name of the environment in favor of, of national parks or in favor of the EPA, in favor of preserved wetlands. Once you give the government the power to take land and just take it off limits like that, then what you're really doing is you're allowing them the power to control everybody's property rights. And that is a little bit frightening to me. So the idea of, of a park that's, that's voted on by a community is one thing. The idea of having a, a, a sort of bureaucratic body that designates a, a, an area as just off limits, that's another. I don't like bureaucracies generally. If Congress votes that they want to declare a national park off limits, I don't have a general problem with that. I do have a general problem with a, bureauc- uh, with a bureaucratic structure just declaring huge swaths of lands under federal control. I also think that there's the possibility that private parks would do just as good a job. Okay, Matt writes, Dear Ben, my father-in-law works in administration for our local school district. He's been telling us how visibly disturbed everyone is with Title IX regulations and speech codes concerning the nature of students' gender identity and how they must all stay gender neutral in conversation. They know this is destructive and must comply. What can they or we as a community do about this, if anything? Well, I mean, the first thing that you could do theoretically is just continue to use normal language, and then if you're fired, you sue the, you sue the district. Because it is absolutely not a violation of Title IX protocol to call students by their birth gender birth gender, by their sex, okay? There's no, there is nothing against Title IX. Title IX is predicated on the idea that men and women are different. That's why Title IX exists. Title IX says that you have to treat women the same as you would treat men. Well, if women are men, then you don't have to worry about Title IX anymore, do you? If men are, just can pretend to be women, then what's the issue? Title IX preserves funding for women's sports. Why would women's sports be a separate thing if men can just be women? So, 
you know, my feeling is that this is something we have to fight back on and fight back on hard. You don't have an obligation to lie to your students uh, and lie to the people around you if a little boy calls himself a little girl. Uh, and, it's, and it's ridiculous. Uh, honestly, I, I think that it really is child endangerment for a lot of these parents to, to go along with the delusions of small children. It's, it's insane. Patrick writes, Trump was once pretty liberal on legalizing pot in his youth. I've noticed he flip-flops his policies to appease conservative voters. Yeah, you noticed. Do you think his prior liberal view on weed legalization would be a catalyst to his campaign? Perhaps he can snag the minority vote as well as millennials. I don't know from polling data how minorities feel about pot legalization. Millennials obviously are very much for it. I'm for pot legalization, by the way. I, my, my view on pot legalization is very simple. When I was in middle school, it was much easier to get pot than it was to get a drink. That's because alcohol is legal but heavily regulated. Pot is illegal, but once it's in the system, it's almost impossible to police. I've never tried pot. I think that the people who smoke pot are annoying, really, really annoying, and wasting their lives. That said, the government sucks at everything, and they've proved that with the war on drugs. Noah writes, hey, Ben, you claim to be never Trump. You seem to talk about him and push the good things he does say. I'm starting to feel like we're babying him, saying, yay, Donald, you did something good. I'm a person with very little optimism for the future of our country. I seem to agree with you on everything except your seeming babying of Trump. Why not just let it all crumble? Okay, Noah, so quick thing. Number one, you're the first person who's ever noticed that I'm nice to Trump sometimes. So I really appreciate that, that the segment is not called Bad Trump. It's called Good Trump, Bad Trump. And the reason for that is because I try to call it as I see it. When Hillary says something good, which is once in a blue moon, I try to praise her for it. When Barack Obama said something good about freedom on college campuses, for example, I said something good about it. When Trump says something good, I try to, I try it, and he does say some good things, I try to praise it. When he does something bad, I try to call it like I see it. So some of that will be good, some of that will be bad. I don't think that it's babying him. I mean, honestly, of all the, of all the conservatives in America, to, to the idea that I'm babying Donald Trump of all the conservatives in America <laughs> seems a little bit of an exaggeration. Joseph says, hey, Ben. If you were to run for president, are there key points to your strategy to win? For example, organizational structure, key states, people you think you could speak for your campaign and vice president. Uh, well, I mean, this is a little bit far off down the road, considering that that's a, a kind of a wild question. Um, but, you know, I, I think that if I were looking at the primary structure, everybody gets it wrong. I was not as important as New Hampshire. Uh, when you get to a general election, I think that you know, having a more cosmopolitan candidate doesn't hurt so long as the cosmopolitan candidate is capable uh, of speaking well to people in sort of swing states like New Hampshire uh, and, and also capable of speaking to people uh, in Iowa. There are certain states that are sort of taken for granted. Most of the states that are on the fence have very heavy cosmopolitan populations, and it's in those counties uh, and, the, and the juxtaposing counties that these elections are decided. Uh, so it's, you know, that's, that's why I think it's important that you have somebody who can speak well uh, which is not something that, um, which is, is certainly not something that, that Donald Trump is good at. Uh, you know, as far as VP picks and all the rest of it, uh, that's that's down the road. I mean, I, I have no idea. I have no idea. I have seen the suggestion that that I run the campaign and it should be Ben Shapiro for president and Ben Shapiro thug life for VP. Uh, and uh, considering they're both me, I, I think that that would probably be a mistake. Only Trump can do such things. Luke writes, hi, Ben. Lots of discussion on Article 5 of the Constitution and the Convention of States on social media forums. What are your thoughts? Can it or should it happen? Yes, it can happen. Yes, it should happen. Will it happen? Maybe, but it's definitely an uphill battle. But everything's an uphill battle now, so I don't see why not. Luke writes, dear Ben, can you solve a Rubik's Cube? Um I have never spent the amount of time necessary with a Rubik's Cube to get good at solving a Rubik's Cube. I know there are guides online to doing it, and I could just follow those guides, but I'm honestly very, very bored by Rubik's Cubes. Uh, there, there's a girl I went to school at Harvard who used to solve these things in like 30 seconds, though. Uh, Chris writes, hey, Ben, love the show, especially last Lindsay. One. This is the last one. Sorry, I have to, I have to, I'm sorry, folks, if you didn't make the mailbag, but um, I was generous with my time. Chris writes, hi, Ben, love the show, especially Lindsay. And Lindsay didn't cultivate the mailbag this week. By the way, thoughts and prayers for Lindsay. Apparently, good news came in today on her mom. We'll keep you updated on that. But prayers are appreciated for Lindsay as well as her mother. Hope she's doing well. I'm a college student surrounded by SJWs all day, constantly being slammed with the necessity of entitlements. Where did this extreme sense of entitlement come from? How do we fix it? Thanks for answering. Keep up the great work. I think the sense of entitlement among young Americans comes from two things. One, we were born into extraordinary wealth in human history, extraordinary freedom in human history. Two, since World War II, parents have decided it is significantly more important to cultivate a sense of self-esteem in their children than a sense of responsibility in their children. Because of that, more people feel like they are entitled to things because they're entitled to feel good about themselves. The only way to feel good about yourself is to, is to be given success if you won't earn it. And so because of that, there's been a sort of, of move towards self-esteem that is now filtered down over the course of 
three generations, and it's and it's very dangerous. Uh, we obviously need to move back toward a, a more a more responsible America where people take individual responsibility because in the end, freedom relies on a belief in individual responsibility. Okay, folks, we've reached the weekend. We'll see what Hillary Clinton has to say about the alt-right, and uh, we, will, we will carry on through the weekend and then see you on Monday. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.